0: everybody we're back with another episode of midnight on earth i'm your host jake weaver we're here to bring you more knowledge more light more love well today i'm here with the owner of feral fungi feral fungi feral fungi very uh different ways to pronounce it but here we are feral fungi the owner jason Scott is here with us today. I'm very excited that he's here. We're going to talk to him in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That's bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find blue cobra cbd oil, the highest quality CBD oil. On the market. And why is that? I'll explain it every time, just so you know. The CBD that is in the oil is extracted from hemp flour. The extraction process is called the HIT extraction method. It was developed by a man named Howard HIT, aka Big H. And it's a proprietary method meaning no one else has it. No other company extracts the CBD in this way. It's a 100% natural process. No chemicals, no solvents, no gases were used in the extraction process. The flour he uses is 100% organic, Oregon-grown flour. The entire product is 100% organic. We got a discount code, a Midnight on Earth Blue Cobra CBD discount code. And here it is, M-I-D-C-B-D, M-I-D, it's like you're working out, C B D M I D C You put that in the box at checkout. You receive free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. Everywhere else, you still have to pay shipping. I'm sorry. That's okay, though, because you're still able to get the product. But check with Howard directly. Call him or send him a email to see how your country's laws correlate with his product his email is bluecobracbd at gmail.com check him out it's an incredible product i take it daily and even more so because i just got some more in the mail and it's incredible i take it daily i put it in my morning shake it helps me uh maintain my composure energetically throughout the day it makes me a happy person that's my testimony that's my personal story. Of course, you can put it on your body, in your body, the entourage effect it works with, other cannabis products. There really is nothing else like it out there in the ocean of CBD products. There's really nothing else that could be like it because of the hit extraction method. And when you understand that, you understand why in a world where there are about 10 bajillion different kinds of CBD products now. And, and do they even have CBD in them? That's a good question. Cause all of Howard's products are tested. It comes with the test results when you get the product and they have a money back guarantee. Meaning if you do not like the product, for some reason you get to keep the product, you get your money back and your shipping back. If you had to pay that fee. And the pet products are coming, so that's another aspect as well. And it's all small batch, family-owned, Oregon-owned, Oregon-grown. Everything about it is the highest quality. BlueCobraCBD.com. That's BlueCobraCBD.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram midnight underscore on underscore earth that is the address you go there you click the button we become part of your personal algorithm perhaps i'll hail the algorithm just kidding spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts wherever you go to get your podcasts, you can click that button that connects us and of course the most important thing as i always say I actually learned this from my chiropractor many, many years ago. Tell a friend, word of mouth, tell a friend that you know that likes these type of podcasts, that loves these type of topics. Tell them about this place. They wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for you. That's your job. I need you to do that for me today. Today, right now. (laughs) Midnightonearth.com. Okay, so. We're here with Jason Scott. I'm actually in his uh, secret laboratory somewhere in Oregon, but we have to read his bio. We always read the bio. So here we go. Jason Scott is a mycologist, ethnobotanist, and spagyricist who has studied traditional hermetic alchemy from history and philosophy to practice for the past 10 years. He has a background in ethnobotany and plant medicine that started on the big island of Hawaii and has carried back with him into his home, the Pacific Northwest. Born and raised in Oregon, Jason has an intrinsic interest in the fungal queendom and all of its aspects from cultivation to myco remediation, historical in cultural relationships, and more. Jason has studied various different healing modalities, including Ayurveda in Nepal and Western herbalism all over Oregon and Washington. He's on an ever-deepening journey of education to understand the practical applications of his interests and the golden threads that connect them. Jason has been published on the topic of alchemycology, exploring fungi through traditional alchemy and radical mycology by Peter McCoy and Verdant Gnosis Volume 3, compiled by Jen Zart, Katamara Rosarium, and Marcus McCoy. He's taught through these topics all over the United States. And again, he is the founder of and owner of Feral Fungi, where he produces mushroom spagyric tinctures, and curator of alchemycology.com, where he shares some of his teachings and writings alongside other fascinating discoveries in the world of fungi. And we're so glad he's here with us today. Hello, Jason. Hey, Jake. Good to be here with (laughs) you again. We're back. He was here... If you're a longtime listener of Midnight on Earth, you will know that he was here way back in episode four. Now we're on episode seventy-two, and it's been a while. It's been over a year. So tell me, how have you been? What's how, how have things been with you in the last year?
1: Um things have been good overall. Yes, yeah. You've expanded. Feral fungi
0: has expanded actually dramatically, I
1: would say. Pretty dramatically. Yeah. So I think You went all in. Yep. I mean, we've been all in for a minute, but uh, yes, now we are all, all are, in. All are in. All are in. More <laughs> more all are in. We are definitely more all are in at this point, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, we um, have procured our a our, our facility for our extraction processes, and um, the, the facility is dedicated to our extractions, where before we were primarily processing out of other people's kitchens, uh, certified kitchens and things like that, to now having our own certified uh, kitchen out here in south, you know, southeast of Portland ish uh, in Oregon. In so
0: a very mysterious, magical place as super mysterious,
1: <laughs> super magical. Wow.
0: That's huge. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. It's definitely deserved because the products that you're making are incredibly beneficial. They're healing people. They're the highest quality. And it's because you focus on a certain point you you focused on spagyrics and specifically spagyrics in relation to mushrooms.
1: Yeah. Well that was, you know, that was really kind of where the journey with feral fungi started as, as you kind of pointed out there in the intro. um, Most of what I was doing was kind of research and then, and then doing educational things, teaching at conferences and doing classes and doing workshops and, and sort of talking about things that I was just discovering in my own personal practice and, all of that kind of came together when I returned home from Nepal where I was studying Ayurveda um, and I was just kind of had this open space essentially at one of the conferences that I was teaching at to, um, to have a booth and to have some of our products, which at that point didn't really exist outside of my sort of like craft handwritten label, small (laughs) batch of things that I had kind of made and experimented with. And so it really gave me the impetus to be uh, m- a little bit more serious about it and kind of put, put it to action and kind of take the things that I had been looking at and things that I've been studying and the ways that I've been working on extractions and to make it into something a little bit more formal. So um, I put it all together into what was our initial offering of seven tinctures, I refer to oftentimes as our planetary set, uh, because each of the mushrooms in that set corresponds with one of the inner seven planets and i was teaching that year at that that conference on um essentially what that means looking at the doctrine of signatures and correspondences and how how um the doctrine of signatures and correspondences with working with different types of archetypes um in that case the planets uh can really deepen our understanding of of you know mushrooms but also herbs and just kind of the natural world around us how we can come to relate to them and understand them on more deep levels and how we can kind of work with them more effectively through those models so i would say it really started from a place of just being you know seeing the mushrooms and seeing the fungi and seeing kind of the role that they hold within our ecosystem and the kind of magnificent beings that that they are and that i know them to be and that i'm you know more and more people are finding them to be on all sorts of different levels and then putting that into action through the potential for their, um, their therapeutic benefits.
0: So that's essentially a huge component of the spagyric process, what you're talking about. And can we, let's enlighten people. Let's remind people just in a bullet point kind of way, what spagyrics are and how they differ from traditional extraction methods and traditional herbal blends or mushroom tinctures that you may see out there
1: yeah absolutely so um spagyrics are drawn from the practice of traditional hermetic alchemy and so the term spagyric basically just means to separate and recombine um it comes from the greek word "spau," which is to separate and a zero which is to recombine or i've also heard it translated as to reawaken and kind of the Theoretical concept is that you're taking kind of the base components that make up that living entity or being, in this case, mushrooms, you're breaking it down into its component parts, purifying those pieces and then putting it back together in, into essentially like an exalted form of what that mushroom was or kind of like what that mushroom is ultimately striving to be. So it's burning out all the impurities on every level. And then once
0: that perfect state has been achieved in all the components, you then recombine them and that becomes this spagyric product that you have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so what that means on the most practical level for what we do um, with with the the tinctures and the extracts is, you know, once we've done a dual extraction on the mushrooms to kind of pull um, all of the compounds that we're looking for out of the mushrooms then instead of just taking them what would be referred to at that point as the mark and throwing it out or composting it um, we take it and we burn it into a really fine ash we leach the mineral salts from those ashes with um, water at this point we're using a lot of vinegar um, that are kind of grabbing all those minerals from the ashes of the mushroom And then we're recrystallizing those minerals and then putting them back into the final tincture. And then those are gonna be basically like a complex of trace minerals. So I kind of look at it on on two levels, right? Where it's like on one level, as I was kind of delving into before you sort of redirected me is, is like, there's like that philosophical side to why you're doing what you're doing, which is kind of like taking the pieces, breaking them down into their principal parts, refining them. And then putting them back together into then the other piece, which I've just touched on, which is the more practical aspect, right? Of of then you've got the series of compounds that are extracted through the various different parts of the process that are, you know have been researched and studied and are continuing to be researched and studied for their therapeutic benefits. And then you also have the mineral salts, which stands as the body of the mushroom. And so you get like the most refined part of the body and and kind of the way that we look at it is like then at the end we have living extracts or living remedies because what was happened is they still have everything that they had initially before we started extracting them they've just been taken apart refined and then put back together so then they're in
0: they perfect theoretically
1: form. a more exalted form correct? yeah yeah
0: And there is, we forgot to talk about this. If you did listen to episode for way back then, we talked about this, but we forgot to talk about the astrological component. So there is that. So let's talk about the astrological component
1: in relation to spagyrics. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if it's so much that we forgot to talk about. It's just (laughs) there's a lot of ground to cover. There is a lot of ground. Yeah. And. Um, You know, oftentimes I'll do like three hour long classes just talking about astrological correspondences and the doctrine of signatures and correspondences. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, I, I look at the doctrine of signatures and correspondences being a central piece to the alchemical work is like, you're looking at essentially repeating patterns in nature and kind of the archetypal forces and how they present themselves. And then when you are able to put those things into action you're able to understand how they're represented through various different types of plants and minerals and animals and people and they kind of combine through those things to varying different degrees but you have these kind of archetypal forces in this case we're talking about the seven inner planets which you know is everything up to saturn that's the last planet that we can see with the naked eye so people um you know for centuries and centuries have been working with and understanding those planets, you know, from, from more of like a more modern, um, uh, scientific view, but also, you know, working with their archetypes and more of the energies and the sort of, uh, correspondences with them as well. And so basically what we're doing is kind of drawing from that traditional relationship to the inner seven planets, which, uh, you know, would be the, the sun, the moon, Um, Mercury Mars Venus Jupiter and Saturn and so technically it's two luminaries and five planets and it's our kind of relational place within the the solar system to these other planets and then understanding through there and there's different kind of philosophical lines of thought and and um, more like occult lines of thought that are basically thought that it's like the journey of the soul or the journey of life to us here on, on earth have kind of like transcended down through these spheres of the planets and these planetary archetypes and energies. And then they're kind of these um, representations of everything that we experience in our physical life. So again, kind of drawing back from the more obtuse philosophical into like, what does this practically mean for us? So there's ways that you can look at like the inner seven planets, for example, and say that they're correspondent with different uh, different kind of representations phys- physiologically in the body. So you can say like the sun is correspondent with like the heart and the blood. Uh, the moon is correspondent with like the stomach and the the brain. Um, Venus is correspondent with uh, the kidneys, the renals, um, reproductive systems. Um Mars more so with like the male reproductive systems and like the muscles and the tendons. So you can kind of go through these traditional associations with all of those planets. Um, and then beyond that, then they kind of have like their energetic architecture too. And you kind of think of like, okay, well how does it represent? And it's like Mars is like dry and hot and Venus is like, is like warm and moist. And then the moon is like cool and moist. And so you can look at these kind of different um, archetypal patterns that are presented by those planetary bodies and you can then see how they're represented through the things that we interact with um, in our daily lives and then I would say mushrooms are are a little complex in that I oftentimes work with uh, multiple different types of planetary correspondences with them just kind of depending on how I want to work with them or guide them whereas I say oftentimes like plants are a little bit more direct and straightforward. They're kind of a little bit more simple in terms of their, um, their biological presentation. And then through that, that that's a lot easier to be like, Oh, nettle is Mars. It's like you touch it and you get that, um, you get that like stinging from the nettle and it's got those like serrated edges that are like sharp and it's uh, working on the blood and it's working, you know, so you can kind of like, look at those pieces and start to see how they connect. And so when I started the work with the mushrooms, there wasn't really a foundation for it. So, you know, with, with the herbs, there's a lot of traditional texts, especially if you're looking, you're looking back to like the 16th century, the 15th century and before of of herbalists and of uh, scientists of that time. Um, a huge, huge resource would be like Nicholas Culpepper with the company herbal is Every time that they're talking about working with herbs, they're they're uh, giving planetary associations to the herbs that they're working with. And they kind of just like brush over it as it's just like common knowledge. They're like, oh, yeah, then, then this herb, which is ruled by the moon, and then don't really say anything on that or why it was done that way. Um, but it's easier to find that within sort of the Western cultural context because it was it was through the advancement of alchemy and then of uh, the kind of more European s- systems of herbalism that they were looking at those things and then drawing those specific planetary correspondences. And then as the new world herbs started to come in and the interchange of other herbs and other things that weren't kind of traditionally used, there wasn't really like a foundation for, okay, what planet is this associated with? So I did a lot- kind
0: of dropped it a little bit.
1: Yeah, to a degree, or or it was it just, just kind like, of phased out. It of, kind of phased out as as the the cultural narrative around alchemy was sh- shifting and kind of shifting from more of like a spiritually infused science perspective to, um, you know, through the Royal Society, refining the systems of chemistry and biology and uh, physics and kind of dropping the spiritual aspect, you know, at least on the surface level, um, of the people who were developing those things, and so. You know, when I first started looking at that through the alchemical perspective, it was like, you know, you just kind of like learn the different associations of of what plants are associated with which planets. And there's kind of like a basic understanding, but it doesn't really get too deep into to why. And that's, I started, um, studying and working with my good friend, Seja Popham, who's, um, a yeah. School te- of evolutionary herbalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> teacher at the school of evolutionary herbalism. And he's just a really fantastic, um, uh, person and teacher and mentor and friend. And he talked a lot about, um, how to start looking at and determining planetary correspondences yourself through your understanding of the planetary archetypes and then what bodily systems are associated with and how they connect to those systems and then how they sort of represent themselves in plants and then in people and through that, then how you kind of apply that to working with plants and working with people um, to be essentially more effective as like a medicine maker and, and a practitioner mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, again, it was kind of interesting because within all of that, and then all of the sort of relational studying and understanding that still just wasn't really a foundation at all for mushrooms through that perspective or that context. And so, so where did you get information about that or did you develop it yourself? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of both, right? So it was kind of like working with, um, working with Seja and then, uh, looking at sort of the traditional correspondences and starting to kind of pick apart how they were coming to those understandings. And it was ultimately like a relational understanding. So it was like a it was like a direct relationship to the plants that they were working with and then seeing them and then understanding the the planets and then how the planets sort of visually, energetically archetypally sort of represent themselves. So just looking at the ways the the planetary bodies are and then how they represent themselves. And then looking at the ways that the mushrooms exist within their natural environment. Um, I also did a lot of work with my buddy, Peter McCoy and looking at um, kind of growth patterns of mycelium on Petri dishes. So you can, you know, it's like myceliums oftentimes growing subterranean. So you can't really like see the larger pattern, but when it's growing on a Petri dish, you can kind of notice certain things. And so, I sort of used that as a starting point and just kind of started to to tease it apart and say, well, like, Oh, well, you know, I know that there's kind of been proven therapeutic benefits of the mushroom in this regard. And, and this kind of corresponds with this planetary archetype or energy and then um, maybe through the process of extracting the mushroom, I saw something different and that kind of helped to inform the process and, Maybe the way the mycelium was growing helped to inform the process even more. So really it was just kind of an actively engaged process of like looking at those planetary archetypes and what they really mean and trying to kind of have my own relational understanding to them and then applying that to the mushrooms.
0: So do you have that then all mapped out for the products that you have, the different mushrooms, so you can define that based on the understanding that you created? Um, loosely. more or less, yeah, <laughs> more or less.
1: Yeah. I like to say that it's, it's like a, a template okay. more than, more than anything else, because I think, um,
0: well, it sounds like really positive information that maybe you should be writing down, like that you develop that nobody else really has.
1: Yeah. So there, we do have a chart in the radical mycology book oh, and okay, my, cool. in my chapter on mycology. And that was kind of like the first time that we put it down on paper. Um, And that just in that book, too, I I write a little bit about the doctrine of signatures and correspondences. And then I have that chart in there, which was kind of like a preliminary chart and is meant to be as opposed to like a doctrine on which mushroom is associated with which planet, more of like a starting point for people to start kind of um, teasing apart themselves. And, you know, since I since I made that as well, I've um, shifted some things around, too, and. Uh, work with some of the mushrooms on there under different planetary correspondences. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, too, beyond the sort of primary correspondence, I also included like a secondary and tertiary correspondences as well. Wow. So it's at least there in a framework sense. And
0: that's, again, part of the spagyric process. And these products that you have incorporate all that knowledge, Right.
1: Yeah, so they're drawing from that knowledge and then also, you know, from, again, a more practical standpoint. So so on one level, right, is like I also use the doctrine of signatures and the planetary correspondences as a tool for myself to understand the mushrooms on a deeper level. And then also to, like, use them a little bit more specifically because oftentimes when you go to look at any sort of literature about what mushrooms are good for what things and how they work with the body you get these like long laundry lists of benefits that they have and oftentimes they're really interchanged and it's kind of hard to say it's like well this would be more indicated in this sort of scenario and so when I started down that path I really wanted to um, differentiate them a little bit more and be like well yeah all mushrooms are good for all these things and you can kind of Uh, connect a lot of them together through the the polysaccharides that all mushrooms contain these beta-glucan polysaccharides that have this these whole host of of benefits and that's going to make each mushroom sort of have this um, sort of commonality with all other mushrooms in the way that they work therapeutically but then there's like the individually individuality of each mushroom and how you can um, work with them for more of a specific purpose and so that was kind of the first piece was to um, use it as a tool for myself to kind of organize. And I just thought it was fun. It was like <laughs> kind of like a fun thought process to just go through, but sure. to kind of organize the mushrooms and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, like reishi and lion's mane are both good for the nervous system, but you know, maybe just like look at the, the physiological architecture of lion's mane where it's, um, you know, round and it's white and it's just full of moisture and it's going to be like much more correspondent with like a lunar energy, which is going to be working on the brain and the nervous system and the stomach. Uh And then the lion's mane has that direct connection to the, the brain and the stomach um, so far as we understand, as well as the nervous system. But then the nervous system is also ruled by mercury. So maybe there's like a secondary correspondence of mercury there with that lion's mane, but maybe if I am like more specifically looking to work with the lion's mane for like a digestive issue, I will process it under that lunar influence, which is again coming back into where like more practically this plays out because each day of the week is associated with one of the inner seven planets and you can kind of hear it inherently in the language, right? Like Sunday ruled by the sun, Saturday is ruled by Saturn, Monday is ruled by the moon. Tuesday through Friday get a little wonky because we, we sort of stole that from Norse uh, mythology. But like Tears Day is Tuesday. Tear is the god of war, as uh, Mars. Wednesday, Odin's Day. Um, Odin is associated with Mercury. Thor's Day is where we get Thursday from. Thor is associated with Jupiter. So because uh- we
0: took on those archetypal energies in our calendar system, they've then... Uh, Things that are made on those days then adapt to that energy. They take on that energy,
1: kind of. Well, but the the planetary correspondences were already associated with those days before we took on that. It was just that the um, the gods are also planetarily like through the Norse tradition are associated with those planets and those planetary energies. And it's just interesting that it plays out that way. But like Spanish language is like Spanish. You know, it's like it's much more present right you got like lunes is the moon correspondence monday martes is uh, tuesday mars Right. My Spanish is is a little rusty. Miracle is, is uh, Mercury's uh, Wednesday. Yeah,
0: it is a little more apparent in the Latin root
1: language. Yeah, exactly. And so, but it's interesting, too, how it still kind of persisted even though we took those Norse gods and made the days based off off of them as well. Freya, Freya's day, Friday. Do
0: you think they knew about that energetic component and then adapted those in those places? Like, uh, Like essentially saying, like, okay, we can take those Norse ones and plug them in here because they have the same effect.
1: Um, I, (laughs) I couldn't say for sure. I mean, maybe that's, that's what happened, but um, you know, my uh, understanding of that, I don't, I don't know.
0: It feels that way, right? Because if, if everything else is kind of taking on that signature, then it seems like that, that choice would do that as well. So spagyrics, we have that down and mushrooms, um, are we in a mushroom renaissance right now? Is this like a, opening up a new chapter in humanity where we're really integrating all of the different mushrooms and all of the different- different mushroom compounds into our normal consciousness and our mainstream lives?
1: Oh, yeah, they're definitely doing something i'm not i you know I feel like how I relate to it myself is that i'm kind of of, of service to the mushrooms and um right they are most people say that actually. Yes, but I can't claim to know what the um, overarching pattern is that is happening. But definitely, I mean, I've been involved with fungi to varying degrees for the past, uh, you know, 11 years at this point, And it's been very close to my heart and I've written articles about it and I've studied it and I've looked at the medicinal values of mushrooms and I've been just deep in the mushroom world to organize the radical mycology convergence which is this huge mushroom festival the last couple years i helped organize the fungi film fest which is all right uh, you know films from people all over the world in some way relate to fungi yeah i remember that one that one was really good this year and last year yeah and um so I've been in it, you know, for a while. So it's really interesting to see just like how quickly that paradigm has shifted to, you know, the first couple of years when I would mention <laughs> anything mushrooms at all, people are like,
0: "Oh yeah, psychedelic mushrooms, right. man, magic that was their mushrooms." Only
1: association, only association for sure, and and then, um, you know, then the, witnessing the community start to get bigger and the awareness starting to grow. And then just kind of, you know, from my own perspective, like doing events and having to really break down everything about medicinal mushrooms and their values and how to work with them and the benefit of the fruit body over the myceliated grain and kind of talking about all those things to like, you know, in the last couple years, like literally the last two, maybe three years where the awareness has just grown so much that people are coming and like, Oh yeah. Mushrooms. Like I've heard about the benefits of mushrooms and I've heard about lion's mane. I've heard about cordyceps you know, I've heard about reishi. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, you know, there's definitely, I think some sort of Renaissance happening with the mushrooms and they, I, you know, the way that I see it is that they are kind of have, uh, they have a Prerogative, and they have sort of an agenda that they're working towards. I will talk know. about
0: that a little bit because you're you're saying what you're saying is there's a living consciousness within the mushrooms that has its own intentions, and we. W- for a person that deals with mushrooms like yourself uh constantly you you already know the intentions are good you may not understand the depth of the intentions but you intuitively feel that they're good but let's talk about that a little bit what what is the will of the mushroom and what how is it influencing humanity
1: um yeah well i mean i i feel like <laughs> that's a big question it's a big question and also like i feel like you know i have to speak with a little bit of hubris to be able to pretend that I know something about you have intuitive understandings though, right? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, (laughs) so I think, you know, I think at the most basic level and just kind of like to touch on what I can touch on for this question is, is like that the mushrooms have an intelligence, but all, all living things, everything in the living the natural world has a layer of intelligence associated with it, plants have intelligence. I think minerals have intelligence. Everything that's living and that's growing has uh, an intelligence and has kind of like a, a, a importance in the role that they play within a larger ecosystem. And so mushrooms, I think, also have that intelligence, but then they're also a, a lot more closely related to um, animals than they are to plants on the phylogenic tree of life. So there's something there in that there's more of a direct communication with the mushrooms and they're kind of like moving a little bit more in a volatile manner than maybe plants are. And then they're also just so, uh, adaptive where they can, they can adapt so quickly to their environmental changes. And, and they're, they're really offering a lot of, um, solutions to some of the kind of like messes that we've found ourselves in through maybe some of our missteps and um, misunderstandings about the natural world and how we connect to the natural world.
0: So it's helping us rebalance that understanding. But do you believe though, Jason, that the mushrooms itself have a consciousness that maybe is, like you said, closer to an animal, but just closer to a human in the sense that it has awareness. It, it makes decisions. It it can feel information and, and uh, adjust to the information and and share its information. I mean, do you do you think that it's a more advanced type of consciousness than say maybe an, an animal? Different, different.
1: Uh, I mean, even different than human. I like you know. I think that you could look at it and you could say that it does all of those things and it kind of has that awareness and that understanding of the role that it's playing with an ecosystem, you can say that as far as you can understand or talk about human consciousness. Right. And so it's like, I think, I think to say that anything has less consciousness than humans is, is, sort of a short sighted understanding of what consciousness really is or consciousness really means because like we have our relational consciousness and we can understand it and we can understand because we're perceiving from that perspective. But it's like, we don't necessarily, that doesn't, it's not the end all be all of consciousness and what consciousness means and what, what consciousness is. So I would say that definitely, I believe that the mushrooms have their own consciousness and they have their own, uh, agenda i don't know if i would necessarily say that it's inherently good i don't know if i would say that anything is inherently good i think um i think that they have some promising uh potentials for teaching us in how to live in in greater equality and harmony with the natural world and i also think that you know there's also mushrooms that will kill you with one bite right, right? so it's like <laughs> there's there's i don't think anything within the natural world and with humans, there's like inherently good or inherently evil is not really like a thing. It's like most things exist kind of in that in between space Neutral. where they have both both sides of it.
0: Right. But we did talk about last time uh, about how the biggest organism on Earth happens to be here in Oregon, and it's a mycelial network.
1: Right. Yeah. The, the honey mushroom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can we remind people about that? It's, it's pretty mind blowing when you think about it. It's the biggest organism on earth.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so our malaria, malaria, uh, malaria. I think I could be misremembering the the species, but it's a honey mushroom essentially that is, uh, takes up a huge amount of space in the Malheur National Forest. And I think as you just mentioned is, yeah, it's, it's, um, the largest living organism, and then, you know, there's, there's, a again, multiple sides to that, right? Where it's like, it is this ancient organism that's been alive for a long time and it's all connected. And then also a lot of people look at our malaria and say that they're, um, parasitic right. mushrooms to their environment, which I also think that there's, there's a reason for that. And I think that there's also benefit for that, uh, especially in sort of, imbalanced environments. But, um, you know, again, that's kind of, it's, it's really subjective as, as what is positive and what is negative, but, um, it's there for a purpose. It seems I would. Yeah. And
0: would also so. it also, it has more, uh, mycelial connections, uh, than the human brain and it's synaptic brain, uh, connections. It's, it's, some people will say that it's larger than a human brain, that it could actually be just one pulsating mushroom brain
1: definitely <laughs>
0: <laughs> which and then of course some people uh take it back and say that because it's unlike any other organism on earth that it was seeded perhaps by asteroids either intentionally or not intentionally as a way to help us evolve and help us grow as a as a species as you were saying it has a multifunction purpose
1: yeah definitely i mean we know that spores exist in the vacuum of space i don't know um you know, at that point it's all speculation from my, yeah, my perspective. So I of don't really know.
0: It's just, it's, it's just really interesting. These are all the theories that are out there mm-hmm. of course. But uh, yeah, so they have an incredible power. They have an incredible role with all organisms on earth. Do they show up in the animal kingdom? Do we see animals using mushrooms a lot? Do we hear about that?
1: Um, well, insofar as we are animals, yeah, definitely. And then, you know. In the it, wild
0: animal kingdom. <laughs> <how about that? laughs>
1: wild animals also, um, to certain degrees, use use mushrooms. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's, it's kind of. A I haven't of, heard a lot, of, lot of, about that. No, person. I haven't either. Um, other than like, you know, I've seen and I've heard of and. Seen pictures of like deers eating amanita mushrooms, for example. Um, I even had some friends recently that were actually got to witness deers eating amanita mushrooms. And it's not toxic for them at all. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, you didn't follow it around to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think traditionally as it goes is like the, the way that those mushrooms were, one of the ways that they were worked with is that the, the reindeer in Siberia would eat them. And then um, the people would follow the reindeer and then collect their urine right. and then drink the urine so that it was sort of like filtered yeah, the through toxins. the reindeers. Yeah, the, the toxins were filtered through the reindeer's body. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, as, are, as far as we know and can tell, definitely animals have relationships with mushrooms. That's not an area that I specialize in, so I don't know. Um, specifically, and I can't speak too much to that other than, you know, being able to see like chipmunks or squirrels or things like that, (laughs) that just,
0: (laughs) well, we see how much it affects the human body, like in all the different ailments, uh, psychological, physical, and even the psychedelic experiences, it's all very human centric, but how is it affecting these other animals? That's what I'd be curious to
1: know. Well, animals have immune systems too, right? And they, they have similar, uh, physiology physiology to a to a degree that we do and and they work with and they eat plants and mushrooms that help to kind of bolster that physiology so i i wouldn't be surprised if that the, there was like an inherent uh, value to them eating it for their medicinal benefits, especially being in the forest and kind of getting ready to hibernate in the winter or existing through the cold winters. Well,
0: that's your assignment for next year. Next time you're on the show, I, I want you to be fully versed in animal mycology. Animal mycology—it's a new field.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've got a lot on my plate, so we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. But well, somebody out there is probably doing it.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure, and they can condense all the information, and we'll have them as a guest on the podcast. There you, know, you go. So,
1: if you're out there, shoot us a message.
0: <laughs> send send us an email. You know, we'll have you on for sure. I mean, you know, Jason, Dennis, McKenna. I mean, I don't really know who else. Uh, Paul Stamens is the other big mushroom guy. You know, you're coming up from uh, the next generation. You're going to be up there here pretty quick. I guess we'll see. I feel lucky that you're on the show, man. I got you early (laughs) on, early in his career. He was here on Midnight on Earth. (laughs) Speaking of your career, let's talk about feral fungi. I always get that word wrong. I want to get it right. Feral fungi. I know you told me last time there's multiple ways to pronounce it, but feral fungi. How's everything going? Tell me about your latest blends. They're focused on all these different ailments and, and just really... Uh, specific things, you, you know, you go on the website and you you have a specific issue, you can find the blend for that or the tincture for that, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But tell me more how, about feral fungi.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, we're we're trying to kind of change the game up in in a, v- a few different ways beyond doing spagyric tinctures. I've kind of developed a process that I really like um, where we use some different lab equipment to get a more effective extraction out of the mushroom. And then we're working with all U S grown and wild harvested fruit bodies to extract from. Um, So we're really working on how do we kind of uh, you know, not only look at our own sort of ecological footstep in, in, where we're sourcing our mushrooms, but also how do we kind of encourage growth in a more local market, um, for both medicinal mushrooms and medicinal herbs. Um, because right now it's such just like a global market and China definitely has the medicinal mushroom market cornered to a large degree. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, China's had the, the manufacturing and the growing and everything down for quite a while. And they're, um, you know, they're good at it and they're culturally, they've been connected to mushrooms for a really long time and have had a good relationship with mushrooms. And so, um, so yeah, we, we look at, um, working with uh, local growers to source all of our mushrooms and then we wild harvest some of them. And we also work with other people who we trust to go out into the forest and to, um, responsibly tend stands of mushrooms and harvest them in a good way. And then we take those mushrooms and then we do a Uh, technically a three-part extraction on them, which is the kind of the foundation of the spagyric tincture. So we do um, an extraction with organic alcohol, pull all the volatile compounds out of the mushrooms. Then we do a hot water extraction to get all of the polysaccharides and maybe more fixed compounds out of the mushrooms. And then we burn them um, uh, and then leach the pure mineral salts from the mushrooms and put those back into the final tincture to get this three part tincture and and through that the mineral salts are like a little shot of trace minerals that are just helping with cell absorption of some of the other compounds that are bioavailable in the mushrooms so so that's new that's that system or old or new to you though and <laughs> your processes um not since last time we talked it's new in terms of what's available on the market i think uh, yeah i think okay. um not a lot of people are doing that or offering um offering that. And, and I think, you know, as as well as having a sort of Renaissance with mushrooms um, in general, we're also seeing a Renaissance with uh, sort of traditional alchemical practices as well as just kind of like a Renaissance with traditional forms and practices of working with and understanding medicine as well. And so, um, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier too, is like, we're also, trying to look at and regard all the mushrooms that we work with as living beings and kind of to recognize the spirit of those mushrooms as well, instead of just like from a purely biochemical model of, oh, well, this mushroom has these compounds and that's what it's good for. And how can we right. kind of exalt this? What we're really looking at is like, well, no, this has a spirit and and there's like a spiritual way that this mushroom moves. And so we try to infuse that into the way that we work with them as well and acknowledge the mushrooms and kind of give them offerings and try and, you know, to the best of our abilities, take care of them the way that they take care of us.
0: Because they have a purpose to heal. But if you're unethically harvesting them and you're not putting that love, that intention, that energy into it, it's not going to have the same healing properties, right? Because it's going to be scared. It's going to be offended or ashamed about how it was
1: harvested. It's a living being like, right? I think, I think so. You know, and I, you know, I think that, you know, in terms of like a more modern scientific perspective, then that would be probably one of my more controversial perspectives. But I think that, um, yeah, the way that we relate to them and the way that we understand them and the way that we connect with them definitely has a connection to their overall efficacy as well. And we get that feedback all the time of people who are like, I've heard mushrooms are so good and I've taken all these things and I haven't really felt anything, but I really feel these. And it's like, you know, beyond getting a more concentrated extraction and kind of pulling all the compounds that are well known from a biochemical model for what they're, you know, useful for. We're also kind of putting that other piece in, which is, I think something that gets skipped out on a lot. And especially in the supplement industry where it's all just kind of about, um, you know, what's hot? What's the next big thing is, right. you know, it's like, it's ashwagandha, it's cordyceps, it's CBD. It's like, you know, not really looking at or honoring the spirit of the plants that those come from or thinking about, you know, the way that those, those plants or those mushrooms grew and thinking about the elements that went into growing them and the way that there are these gifts from the earth. And so we really try to kind of put that into, um, all the steps of our process as well. Yeah. I mean, that is something that people that are,
0: Uh, into growing high quality cannabis talk about because they love the plant. You know, they give it organic nutrients. They give it the best possible experience. They thank the plant when they're harvesting it. And then they have this amazing cannabis and that's kind of the same concept. It's a living being, you know, it's alive. It's feeling the energy that you're putting out as a person harvesting it. And it's going to be more beneficial energetically if the love is there, if the respect is there. It seems pretty like, obvious right like you would like yeah but most people aren't thinking that way because they're thinking only about the bottom line or you know how much money they can make or how they can maximize things or make things more efficient and it's uh, it's actually could be hurting the people in a way because it's the mushrooms themselves are toxic not in a way that they're hurting you physically but energetically they could be just draining you because they're terrible products yeah totally yeah
1: I mean, again, I would, I would think so. Um, And, (laughs) and again, I don't know, you know, that, that might not be something that everybody agrees with, but that's just kind of how we approach the mushrooms and how we, how we work with them. And, you know, on the most basic levels, like it doesn't hurt to put that extra thought and that care into them. But I definitely think that it seems to help just, you know, based on how we've seen the mushrooms and how we've seen people respond to them. So Well,
0: at the end of the day, the love, the intention, it creates the highest quality medicinal product, right? You have this intention to heal people with your products. You want to get this mushroom energy out there and you want it to be the best possible experience for everyone. So this is why these products are like the highest quality products because the intention's there, you know? And the intention wasn't about being the highest grossing with the lowest amount of overhead, uh, mushroom medicine facility out there. I mean, I'm there is a business aspect of course, but the intention was to create the highest quality product with love, with care and with, with that deep level of understanding and then everything else comes afterwards.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if, if lower overhead and, and more money and all those things were our driving goal. I probably would be doing things a lot different um, than we do, but we try to keep a level of integrity with, with what we're doing because you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there and for a lot of people it is kind of like, especially just in the supplement industry in general, I see it a lot. And sometimes I wonder if I'm, if I'm in the right industry because it's like oftentimes a lot of people I see it's just like, they don't care or like they don't really care about, what they're pushing other than it sounds good that it's popular and you know they don't really care where it's coming from as long as it's cheap and and it's like well do you really care about yourself do you really care about your body it's like you're not you know it's easy to get the cheap thing it's way harder to get something that costs more and there's a reason that it costs more oftentimes and and um you know again if if we if our bottom line was profit margin it's like we we're doing it wrong but (laughs) um, but um you know our bottom line isn't and we try to kind of look at and honor all of the things on all the steps of the way and also it's like i kind of accidentally stumbled into owning and running a business um that was that the nature is producing mushroom products because i was not intending to do anything of the like and i know you know, going into, it, I knew kind of like how hard it is to sort of break into that industry and, and to, um, to make a good product and to jump through all the hoops that you need to with the ODA and the FDA and, uh, the good manufacturing processes and all these things. And it's kind of like, unless you have a lot of money, it seems really insurmountable. And so it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing. It was like, kind of just like accidentally worked. (laughs) Um, So to speak, it's like I, like I mentioned, I had a free opportunity to bend at a conference that I was teaching at and it sort of went better than I expected. And then, it you know, did a number of other events that all just kind of happened. Kept steamrolling. Kept steamrolling. Yeah, exactly. Wow.
0: Well, that's amazing because, you know, the reason it's successful though, is because it is a product that, No one else has like, nobody else can make what you're making, right? Like worldwide, there's nobody else doing what you're doing. Yeah. On the level that you're doing it. For sure. Yeah. And you you may get people that slap the name Spagyrics on stuff, but are they really doing it? I don't know. How transparent are they?
1: Yeah. Most, I mean, that's (laughs) the other thing. Most uh, companies in the supplement industry just aren't really transparent No. And where they're sourcing or how they're produced or anything. Right. So this
0: is all locally sourced. This is the highest quality using the best possible method. When you go to the website, you can see that there's just these focuses, blood health, brain health, clarity, digestion, heart health, things like that. Inflammation that you go there and you can decide which of these products that he offers can help you the best. You know, you want to talk about rare mushrooms or mushroom extracts. I mean, maitake, Usnia, red belted conk. <laughs> you even have some uh, limited edition uh, blends as
1: well, right? Yeah, for sure. So we offer, uh, I think we're at like 10 or 13 individual mushrooms that we work with. Um, and we like to make those available to as uh, simples. So just like as the individual mushroom, which is another thing that's really hard to find. Um, a lot of product companies that offered like just the single mushrooms, but we offer that um, individually through our website. And then we also offer those, uh, you know, a lot of practitioners that, that we work with really like to be able to formulate themselves and make their own blends and use um, the individual mushrooms. And then from those um, 13 mushrooms, then we have uh, six different blends that we offer. And each of those blends is kind of like, specifically formulated and formulated in ratios that exalt certain mushrooms towards certain proclivities and then also have them supported by other mushrooms um, to do those same things. So for like example, we have like our clarity formula where it's like, you could just take lion's mane for clarity and you're going to have really amazing results. But for that formula, it's like our most simple formula is just three mushrooms. It's lion's mane ratio and cordyceps. All three of those mushrooms have a neuroregenerative property, so they're helping to regrow healthy neural tissue. Um, they're nourishing the nervous system. And um, you get a little kind of kick of energy with the cordyceps in there. Um, all three of them are just helping to bolster uh, nerve health and then immune health. And then um, through those mechanisms as well, also just helping with focus and clarity and uh, mitigating sort of the stress response um which also just helps with clearing brain fog and with mental clarity and so um we formulated like that but we don't we don't just like decide oh these three mushrooms is like we really look at the mushrooms and then we also feel into the mushrooms and and kind of put them together and say like well lion's mane is definitely like the leader of this trio for the intended purpose of this like if we were making an energy one maybe like Uh, cordyceps would be the leader but for the clarity and the nerve health it's like lion's mane's the leader and then the reishi and the cordyceps are in there as like supporting roles to that mushroom and we we sort of formulate all of our um blends in that way and it's really unique and it also is just like an easier way for people to access the mushrooms you know whereas like you have to have some sort of foundation or understanding or have heard something to be like, oh, I need turkey tail or I need reishi or I need these individual mushrooms. With the blend, you can kind of go into it more from, oh, I've been having like a bit of digestive upset and maybe I'll try the digest tincture and that will be helpful. And we kind of name them in order to be able to say like, oh, well, this is going to be... You know primarily formulated for digestion and while it's primarily formulated to a specific purpose kind of circling back to what i was mentioning earlier about all the mushrooms having such a wide array of of properties and benefits um you also kind of get like um like instead of side effects you get like side benefits <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's way better
1: from the mushrooms. Yeah. You gotta love that. Yeah. We, yeah. We should put warnings on our bottles. Warnings might <laughs> include side benefits. Um, <laughs> um, But like the digest tincture, for example, we also use lion's mane as one of the leading mushrooms in that formula, lion's mane and red belted conch, which are both really good for supporting healthy digestion, supporting uh, the body's response to digestive inflammation. Um, and, So those are the leaders in that formula. But since lion's mane is the top of that formula as well, you're also going to get that nerve health support. Um, All of the mushrooms, you're going to get some sort of help to support healthy immune system. Um, All of the mushrooms, you're going to get some sort of uh, healthy um, like inflammation response and then also help kind of scavenging free radicals in the blood and sort of all this whole list of things that you get from just the all the mushrooms are going to do that. So again, you get these kind of like side benefits from right. each of those blends. So even, even though, though there's like,
0: focus, you still get the, the supplementary
1: benefits, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, so yeah, we we kind of have um, focused, and th- those are that's kind of like the core and the foundation of you know what we've done here. Um, and you were lucky enough to see here today. We have something really special going on in in the lab um, where we're doing an extraction on an yes. albino cordyceps. So um, oftentimes, you know, it took us a really long time to secure a um, regional or local source for cordyceps. So, um, you know, we work with a grower out in, in uh, Pennsylvania and he's been growing all of the cordyceps that we're using and the cordyceps is just like a really amazing mushroom. And oftentimes it's this like bright orange, the cordyceps militaris mushroom is this bright orange mushroom and um, they have been working on breeding and um, crossbreeding and, and making all of these like really potent cultivars and commercial sort of strains of wild um, cordyceps mushrooms that they've been harvesting and finding. And one of the varieties is this albino cordyceps. So instead of the orange color that's typically associated with cordyceps, we have this white Um, cordyceps right now that's processing um, just next door to us and sort of from some of the initial tests um, you know the the constituent sort of read on those mushrooms is that they're as high if not maybe higher in some of the different kind of desired compounds to the original cordyceps so we're really curious to kind of like see and then just because of the role that we have we also get people from time to time who just like bring us things like last year I think we got like ten pounds of um, a wild bear's head mushroom, which is a rel is like a wild relative to the lion's mane that we use. It's a heresium genus mushroom. I think the one that we're working with is the albeatus. And uh interesting, that's the that's the bear's head fungi. So people give you like rare mushrooms
0: because they want you to test them out or try to make a product, extract them. them. Yeah. Wow
1: yeah so um and those that that kind of falls into our um into our r and d slash limited offerings as you were kind of yeah. mentioning, so there's a few mushrooms that we work with like especially right at the beginning of the pandemic a lot of people um sort of strangely you know I'd heard a lot about and and seen a handful of specimens of a garicon mushroom which is um vomatopsis officinalis it's this wild mushroom that grows in um, old growth forests and kind of looks like a beehive and they call it like the quinine nine conch um, because it kind of tastes like it has quinones in there which are these like really bitter compounds um but it's shown to have a uh, really strong um benefits supporting the body against foreign pathogens um such as potential viral infections. Sure. And so, right at the beginning of the pandemic, we had like th- three different people randomly give us these um, specimens that had fallen um, in the forest, and those those mushrooms is what we always encourage people never to pick the agaricon mushrooms because they're they're a pretty rare mushroom, and from my understanding is like one of the only mushrooms you you, you know, don't want to pick um, just because they take so long to grow and they're oftentimes still growing. And so the only ones that we've accepted are like a um, ground fallen specimens that people have found, but people brought us a bunch right at the beginning and it's like so bitter and thick. It's like <laughs> the tincture is like almost solid. It, it's a relative of the red belted conch. So they're both in the Fomantopsis genus. And all of the different fomatopsis mushrooms that we've extracted have had this really interesting similarity where they have, you know, it's a, it's basically a complex of oleoresins that sort of crashes out of solution no matter what you do. It's like the alcohol is just like so inundated with uh, resins by the time you finish the extract that it's like sticky, you know. Oh, wow. And So anytime that it's mixed with the water, which you need the water to kind of successfully extract the mushroom, um, it's just like you know, syrup almost. Oh, it's thicker, thicker. It's thicker than syrup. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's that's a, interesting. Yeah, it's like deep, deep mushroom uh-huh. oil. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it kind of crashes out it almost as like a it looks like a resin or something. It looks <sighs> like yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, you do have syrup too. Speaking of syrup, you do have some of the most amazing lion's mane. Maple syrup of all time. It looks like you have another one as well. Chaga.
1: Chaga and cordyceps. Oh, yeah. cordyceps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um,
0: they look like a hot seller, though. It seems like things are uh, flying out the
1: door here. Yeah, we've been getting good results. Uh, you know, as with everything we try and do, we're also looking at different ways that we can make the mushrooms more accessible to people as well, right? Yeah. And so um, our tinctures, which are kind of like the primary form and ultimately like the most effective you know but they're they're made for their therapeutic benefits and they taste like they're made for therapeutic benefits you know it's like you don't oftentimes like take like a cough syrup or something and say like oh this tastes horrible you know it's like you know that it's going to not taste good and that's just kind of like a part of the deal um you know i don't personally have a problem but you know a lot of the mushrooms are really bitter Um, some have a lot of like umami type of flavor where if you don't like mushrooms to begin with can be kind of challenging. Um, we've had people say that our shiitake tincture tastes like straight soup, (laughs) which it kind of does. I mean, it's got shiitake's got this like really strong kind of like garlicky (laughs) flavor that kind of especially comes through in the, the extract. And so, um, you know, but then also like the cordyceps has like this really unique like yeasty, almost sweet flavor. Uh, the lion's mane has got this kind of like umami, like almost chocolatey flavor to it, especially when you get it concentrated. Uh, and then chaga has got a lot of, <clears throat> it's pretty bitter, but it's also got a lot of like vanillic acid. Um, wow. So it's got these kind of notes of vanilla to it nice. um, and this kind of like deep dark chocolate type <laughs> notes to it do you um, ever
0: do too much as you're here you're like sampling or do you ever feel over
1: mushroomed at certain times usually <laughs> usually that happens in a uh, product development um <laughs> yeah funny story about that actually too is because um we have this other product here that we uh, have just launched actually called um sun remedies and it's all honey based formulas Ooh. And we're, you know, same thing. We're extracting all the mushrooms and then the herbs that we're using in those formulas. We're concentrating them in-house and then we're mixing them um, with, with the honey. And um, so basically what you end up with is a honey product where a teaspoon of the honey is like a really strong dose of um, the herbs that are present in there versus like if you were to just grind up the, the herbs and put them in the honey or do an extraction of the herbs with the honey, you just oftentimes don't really get the same sort of concentration that you would really need for like an effective. Right. So you're doing your amazing method and then putting it back in the honey. Yeah. Yeah. All spagyrically prepared. And, um, you know, when we were sort of testing out those formulas, we would walk away at the end of the day and we'd be like, <laughs> I feel like a, feel a little bit high right now even though we weren't taking anything that would traditionally be you know psychoactive at all but just once you get hopped up on enough of those um, mushrooms you definitely start to feel the sort of elated uh, effect and same with the herbs you know it's especially when you're working with them at like that concentrated of a dose it's like you start to kind of like feel it in a little bit more of a present way than you you know you might be able to otherwise and sometimes you know, sometimes our pe- people are really sensitive. I don't really consider myself to be super sensitive to like, we've had people that take like a dropper full and are like, I'm just like blasted off into outer space. Like what's in <laughs> this? And it's like, well, it's just, tur- you know, turkey tail mushrooms. It's nothing, um, psychedelic, not- nothing psychedelic, nothing that should shoot you into outer space. Um, but you know, for some people it, it happens. And, um, And so I've noticed that with higher doses for myself personally, but um, some people notice it with much lower doses too. Well, all
0: plants are psychoactive supposedly in their own way. I mean, you can just find the compound eventually. It's just, we haven't classified them in that way as humans. We've let them lie. And then, uh, you know, they still have
1: some of these potent effects when they're concentrated. Sure. Yeah. And and some of them are much more noticeable than others. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and even for me, like,
0: uh, I'm very sensitive to mushrooms. I, I can only do a little bit of, of, uh, any kind of mushroom, turkey tail or reishi, because I, I start to feel right. psychedelic, it, but it's a different kind of psychedelic, not necessarily what you would classify with the traditional psychedelic mushrooms, like Q or, uh, or cyan essence or something like that. But I, you know, we don't have too much time left, uh, probably another 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Cool. Yep, um, sounds good. Epic. So, as we close this episode out, we've talked about feral fungi as a company and all the great things, but there's been a big sea change in the world of mushrooms and psychedelics because of the acceptance, the recently passed legislation that uh, legalized it in a way uh, for medicinal use. Things have changed dramatically and there's a new world coming. What do you think about that, Jason? What do you think about the massive changes and the societal acceptance, there's uh, now these ayahuasca trip centers all over the country. You can even get coupons for them, believe it or not, 20% off. And Groupon. <laughs> Groupon. I swear to God, that's real. And uh, I've seen it. And uh, it's coming for mushrooms as well. What do you think about that? Obviously, we don't want anything natural to be illegal, but the, these are very powerful, potent substances what do you think about them being so readily available? What do you think it's going to do to humanity?
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's personally kind of a touchy subject. Cause I think on, on one level, like you mentioned is like, I don't think nature should be illegal. Um, right. however, I also think there's kind of a, an issue on the other side of things being kind of, manipulated and then over commercialized and uh i find that to be just as if not maybe more scary in certain certain ways um but yeah i think you know ultimately at the root of it i feel like i just kind of trust the mushrooms and i feel like that they're doing something and they're making themselves known and present for a reason and i don't understand that 100 percent um And sometimes I, you know, want to put myself into it a little bit more to, you know, try to be a voice of reason or to give that perspective. But on the other side, uh, I just trust that, you know, however it's going to go, it's going to work out okay.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, we had a guest on. She was the president of the Portland Psychedelic Society, Casey Mitchell. And she uh, enlightened me to the fact that in Oregon... Once these trip centers are allowed to open up, uh, you don't need any sort of credentials to open them up. All you really need, as it stands right now, is a high school diploma and a place that you can rent. And then what you can create is a trip center where you are allowed to sell mushrooms, but you also have to have a place for people to trip out to have the experience. So there's what's coming is these trip centers that are going to be all over where people can go in. They can uh, pay money to get a certain psychedelic mushroom. And then they're in this place, maybe like a warehouse like this where there's couches and there's the Grateful Dead concert on the screen and, and people are tripping out. It's, it's going to be wild.
1: Yeah. I feel a little conflicted about that. Um,
0: (laughs) Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really knows what it's going to play out like. I think on, you know, I think on the potentially positive side of that is, um, you know, it not being relegated to psychotherapists, being able mm-hmm. to administer psilocybin opens the door for, you know, more traditional people and traditional types of ceremonies um, to be able to uh, help work and with and facilitate uh, healing in in more of a traditional way that would have somebody who's kind of guiding the ceremony and somebody who knows how to deal with it if something comes up and somebody knows how to kind of navigate that space. Um, so, you know, I think that there's something kind of inherently lost in like a purely clinical setting. I think that there's something also uh, that doesn't quite feel right about just uh feeding people mushrooms and letting them lounge around on couches and stuff like that. I think, you know, I think that (laughs) something bigger, right? Yeah. I think there's kind of pitfalls into either one of those. I mean, it's the same with same with like ayahuasca where it's like, you know, I've heard about people who go and drink ayahuasca and it's basically like a concert. You just like drink medicine and then are at a concert and it's like, what's the, what's the point of that and what's the, what's the meaning. And I think that's where, The conflict comes up for me personally because it's like, well, what's the intention of just making mushrooms available to people? And I know that there's all this potential and I know that there's a way that people they can help people. And I know personally that they have helped people through the way that um, people have portrayed stories and Mm -hmm. just heard about the way that those things have touched people's lives. But also I think that there's kind of like a danger to not really understanding or knowing what it means to navigate in that space and then people kind of take things and then take them out of context and then kind of run with them. And then, you know, can do a lot of harm to people as well um, when they don't really know or understand what they're working with or how to sort of properly work with it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just very volatile. Yeah. Right. Super it's extremely volatile. volatile. And yeah. that's something I think about as well. So then in that case and that with that understanding, will we be seeing a feral fungi trip center, one day. Is that something you would ever do?
1: (laughs) Probably not. Um, (laughs) I mean, I feel like you would probably be one of the best people to do that, right? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. I'm just, uh, you know, I've got my head sort of buried in the work that I'm doing here and um, just, again, trying to do everything as integrally as I can with the mushrooms that I do work with. And if I ever have the opportunity to work with those other mushrooms, I would, uh, you know, apply that same principle to them as well. Um, but I can't wait. I don't know. You know, I don't know what that looks like yet. And I don't know if anybody really knows. I think the, it's going to be interesting to see how that shifts and changes. And, um, you know, as, as the legalization of therapeutic use starts to become more present. And then also the, um, decriminalization of, you know, not only psilocybin mushrooms, but all drugs, all all psychedelics and all drugs. And, you know, I, again, I think there's also the same thing. It's like, there's benefits to that and there's also pitfalls to that. But I think, you know, from what I've seen, especially in like Portugal, where they have decriminalized drugs a while ago, they found that it was really helpful for, um, you know, treating addiction and their um, recurring addiction and people who relapse and things like that is far less than people yeah. who are criminalized for, for drug use and put into jails. So you know, I think there's definitely something about um, drugs in general being criminalized that that creates a sort of taboo around them that I think al- almost makes some of the the fallout even worse than it necessarily should or could be.
0: Well, it seems like with the way the world is right now, our hunger for understanding our desire to be a united earth, it seems like we need something really powerful to just kind of like knock us into the next dimension, perhaps, you know, in the higher dimension, you know, where we're all in love with each other again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's where (laughs) I kind of say it's like, ultimately, it's like, I don't really know, you know, I'd like to kind of protect the mushrooms and i'd like to kind of protect their integrity and and the way that people see them and work with them and honor them and also i just kind of trust that they have a they have an agenda of their own that they're sort of working out and there's a reason that they're be kind of stepping into the limelight so to speak i mean i don't know what it's like being outside of the mushroom world but i feel like it's been crazy to watch from inside the mushroom world and being like, wow, it seems like everybody is like aware of mushrooms now and curious about mushrooms and reading all these things and seeing all these things. And again, like it could be just because that's my, that's sort of the algorithm, the whatever the social media algorithm or the life algorithm that (laughs) I've fallen into, but it could also just be that there's a, you know something deeper at play there
0: well there is there is something deeper at play i mean there's been an explosion the other people i've talked to about this all say the same thing and really feral fungi is where you're going to find the best possible mushroom tincture products out there Spagyrix, locally sourced we didn't even really talk about the difference between fruiting bodies but we did in episode 4 and and the uh, the lower grade Uh, product that people use. So go back and listen to episode four. You're loving this episode. You want more, go back and listen to episode four. You're going to get an even more in-depth understanding. Then you can put the two together. If you want, you have a three hour mushroom journey, (laughs) take some mushrooms and listen to it. Uh, but thank you Jason for being here. Is there anything you want to leave anybody with, uh, leave the
1: audience with before you go? Um, yeah, I just, you know, again, I think, um, Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, thank you course. for uh, giving me a, a space to share and um, to share about the work that I've been doing and that's close to my heart. And I think, you know, I just encourage people out there to, you know, follow their own passions and follow the way that they connect to things and just honor the natural world and honor the places that um, these natural things come from. The herbs that you work with, the mushrooms that you work with. Just take a moment to kind of think about it when you when you take them and don't make it just a routine um, thing that you do, but really take a moment to kind of honor them and to, uh, take care of them as well, because they have, you know, they've done a lot for me personally, but I know they do a lot for a lot of us in our lives and, um, the way that we relate to our bodies and to our health. And so, um, just wanting to kind of put that out there also
0: reciprocate that respect.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then also just to put out as well, you know, the, We just finished up the second annual Fungi Film Fest. Um, We're planning on doing a third annual Fungi Film Fest next year. We are accepting films of all different lengths and all different styles and all different modes and presentations and uh, levels of professionalism. (laughs) Uh, So if you're interested at all, if you're a filmmaker, if you've been touched or tickled or encouraged or... um, nourished by the fungi in some way and want to portray that in film form you should definitely make a film uh somehow related to your relationship to mushrooms or somehow peripherally rated to related to mushrooms or any fungi and submit it to the fungi film fest next year and then we're also hoping that um we're going to be having another radical mycology convergence at some point in the near future we had to take a couple years off um due to the pandemic, but we are looking forward to kind of organizing again and bringing people together out here in Oregon, maybe in 2022. So keep an eye out for that as well.
0: Nice. Well, yes, people please do that. And of course, again, I'm going to say it again. If you want to learn more about these products, if you want to learn more about feral fungi, just go to feral fungi.com and I'm going to spell it out for you because some people need that. That's okay. F E R A L F U N G I dot com. <laughs> Feral fuck. I was worried I was gonna mess it up, actually. <laughs> we,
1: we, we. You spell it like this and then spell it wrong. <laughs> we we also have a um uh so we've got a blog over at feralfungi.com where we talk about um some of the different kind of guiding principles to what we do with the work there. And then we also have a website called alchemycology.com, which is A-L-C-H-E-M-Y-C-O-L-O-G-Y.com. And over at Alchemmycology, we share more of like an educational perspective on working with medicinal fungi and working with mushrooms in general and kind of applying them through the um, lens of traditional hermetic alchemy and the sort of philosophical um, framework that we work through over there.
0: Nice. So all that information is out there. Go there. ecology, feral fungi. Jason, can we have you back next year? We'll do it again. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it, people. We'll see you next year for Jason Scott and everyone else though. We'll see you next week. Midnight on earth.